everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy. And today, I have, I have the genuine pleasure of, me, of uh, interviewing someone that has kind of been on my radar for some time now, but we've never really crossed paths. And the more I get to know about this guy, the more interested I am and intrigued by who he is and how he does what he does. And that is the one and only legend that is, of course, Rock Thomas. Rock, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm jazzed to be here. Dude, I'm really happy to have you on board. Before we jump in, I do have to just do two very small things. The first is, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please go ahead and click uh, subscribe, rate us five stars on iTunes, um, and help us basically just share the word, spread the word. And the second thing, of course, is this show is sponsored by rockthomas.com. That's R-O-C-K-T-H-O-M-A-S.com. If you guys go on over there, you'll find a wealth of resources and get to really know Rocket in so many different ways, including the stuff that he did with uh, Goldcast and other places as well, including like, you've, you've had a very storied career. I just like looking at your photos, you can tell you've had a very storied career and how and where you've been. So my first question realistically is, how would, for someone that doesn't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? Because that is the hardest thing trying to pin down, like describing you. Well, I guess, you know, the term serial entrepreneur comes to mind. Uh, and, you know, overcoming adversity, I guess, is a little bit uh, the part that I help people with because I've grown up on a farm. And mm -hmm. when you grow up on a farm, you learn that horses need to be fed on Christmas and Thanksgiving and Wednesday and Saturday. They don't care what day it is. And I extrapolated that experience of always finding a way to make things work, whether you like it or not, into my business career which made me very resilient. And then I became very curious on how to help other people that were stuck. And that turned me into a life coach and a business coach and a sales coach. And then because I love to grow and learn all the time, I, I started to do things that scared the bejeebas out of me, like public speaking and yep. bungee jumping and all that kind of stuff. So then when you start to fall in that, into that growth pattern, you get addicted to progress. Yeah. And then you start to be able to help other people with that. It becomes also very fulfilling. It really does. I'd say what, where I kind of have had the issue myself in the past is I've fallen over the whole love of the situation kind of gone. Yeah. I, I'm actually in love with this part right now. It's like, what about the next part? It's like, no, 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 I'm good. It's like sitting at the, at a meal and being like, I'm just going to eat the potatoes a little bit more. Like, they're just really nice potatoes. I don't eat anything else just yet. <laughs> like, dude, you need to eat the full meal. You're going to just, you're going to miss a meal here. It's essentially what it is. Um, but one of the things I really wanted to like touch upon specifically was like, you essentially made, um, like the first way that you became a millionaire or like, as far as I remember from reading your bio was in real estate, correct? Yeah, that's, that's true actually is I, I mean, I worked really hard as, as a taxi driver and a carpenter until I was 28. And my father got sick. I lost everything I had uh, taking care of him. And then I got into real estate. And that's when I kind of found my, my lane because I got mentored by somebody who was really good at it. Yeah. And I took my, my work ethic that I had from being a farm boy and a laborer to uh, sales. And as you know, sales, if, you're, if, you, if you get good at it, the sky's the limit. Doors open every, sales open every door. That That is just the truth of it. And um, funnily enough, there's another podcast I did with a guy called Matthew Clark, where I actually detailed the story of like, why? Uh, and it's something I don't really talk about that often. The guest is the second time I've ever spoken about it out loud, is the reason why I decided to go into copywriting. 
it wasn't because I did have passively kind of fall into it, but the whole process behind it was when I was 16 years old, I had a very, very fortunate uh, experience, which I'm not going to go into because it was a, it, it sounds crazy. It was a dream. Um, it actually, I will tell you guys, it's, it's a crazy fucking story, but it's hilarious. I had the dream the world was going to end. And my brain was the world isn't going to end and everything dies. It's like, no, the world's going to end and everyone's going to be like caught with their pants down. So what are you going to do? I'm like, okay, what's a skill that I can have that transcends technology, that transcends time and space? What is the one skill that I know if we were in the Middle Ages, you can drop me in any time period, I would be able to make a living. What is that, what is that skill? I was like, selling. Sales is, that with your, is that with your pants down or not? I'm not really sure. <laughs> but just to explain uh, as well, by that, I just mean like you got caught wide-eyed like deer in headlights kind of thing but definitely it's one of those and there were no people were not wearing pants in that dream i remember it it's kind of crazy but it's one of those uh very strange things that you come across and sales actually really does open doors but i'd say something else that you've mentioned twice now really opens more doors than anything else and that is a work ethic and a tenacity that you only get from certain places in life I don't mean this in a horrible way because you can develop this. David Goggins believes you can develop this and so do we as far as I'm aware. My question to you here is how does someone that really kind of grew up with not a silver spoon in mouth, but like they, they grew up and I don't mean this derogatorily as mm -hmm. if you did, it doesn't mean that way, but they grew up pretty normal. Like they had a pretty normal upbringing. Like they were part of the majority of the school crowd kids that kind of fell into the whole mishmash of what's there. They're like, oh, I like the music too. That kind of thing. Like how does someone like that become someone that has like an insane, not even insane, but like a better work ethic? Yeah, so I, a buddy of mine coaches one of the professional uh, football teams here in America. And we were talking about the fact that most of the football players have no parents. And they grew up in very um, difficult situation. So the way the brain works is that it's always looking for the path of least resistance. That's looking for pleasure. It doesn't seek out, you know, adversity like David Goggins. Yeah. So if you have really bad, you grow up in the Bronx sort of, and you have a choice of living on the street and doing drugs and maybe dying or running really fast with a football and getting knocked around and being paid 3 million a year, by contrast, that is less painful and yep. more If you are born with a silver spoon in your mouth or you, you know, white picket fence and nice parents and your mom makes you a nice lunch with a note in your lunchbox saying, I love you, honey. You may not want to run around and get your face smashed on the football field. Yep. So the way that somebody develops a work ethic is you have to consciously choose to put yourself in an environment that is more difficult than what you're used to. Go to a CrossFit, uh, join, uh, you know, go to the military, go to places where you're not going to be able to get out of the growth that the environment will put you in. And that's what, most, right? that's what most successful people do is they continually seek environments that will demand that they step up. Yeah. See, I, I think my brain is like the best environment for that because it has this really fun thing that it does where I'm about to build a crap load of momentum. I'm like, I've reached a new level. I'm happy. I'm going to go to the next level. Murray goes, no, no, no. We've got to get used to this one first. You don't get to grow past this one. And I was like, why? No, like, no, we'll see if you can do it again. Or it's like, if I did like, for instance, the first time I did over a hundred thousand dollars in uh, yearly income for myself, 
it took me so much longer to do that again. But, and the whole reason for it was that my, I remember like keeping journals going like, what is going on? Why is my brain? I was meditating a lot on it. And it all came down to one weird truth. It was, besides all the other stuff that held me back, it was just the truth of like, um, you've done $100,000 and it seemed easy. Let's see if you can do $100,000 and it's hard. Let's just throw the monkey wrench and see what happens. And it's like, why? Why would you do this? And the more I looked at it and meditated on it, it was simply because my brain was trying to tell me, you need to get used to what if life threw you the hardest punch possible and you had to make it back to 100,000? Would you? Can you? Will you? It's like, let's not, let's not wait for life to throw that in your path and see if you can handle it. Let's do that to you now while you're still able-bodied. So if it does happen, you're prepared. In some ways, my brain loves me. In other ways, it's the biggest asshole that ever existed. But, you know, it comes and goes. We have all parts of that. Did, did, exactly. you, grow, did you grow up in a difficult environment or did, was it mostly? Pretty tough. I, I, had, a, I had a pretty tough upbringing. Um, like, it was kind of funny when you were talking about what you were saying right now. My brain immediately went to, and that's why I stopped fighting. Like, that's actually the reason I stopped doing martial arts actively and uh, professionally. It's why I put on as much weight as I did. It was because of my mind. I built my business up so much that I could actually have a little bit of comfort. And I got through my therapy, so I lost all of the anger and the rage that was there yeah. behind it, which is really sucky, I'm not going to lie, because I did actually like that motherfucker from time to time. I know it's there, so I've got to redig the pathways and find a healthier way of getting there, but... Well, it's crazy. maybe this will resonate with you. I'm sure you know this, is that pain provides purpose until vision takes over. Yep. So we go, we go through that, uh, you know, the anger of being the, the, the bullied kid in high school, and then we, you know, go to the gym, work out, put on muscle, whatever it is. And eventually that doesn't work anymore because you're 40 years old and you're bullying, you know, the guy at the office. It doesn't work. Yep. So then you transform it into, this has been my experience anyway, I think the purpose for all of us is to be the best version of ourselves. Agreed. Could not agree. You that vision, then you, you get up every day and you go, I want to I do a better version of copywriting. I want to I impact more people. I want to impact those people that never heard of that. And that becomes your thirst and hunger. Exactly. And one of the most important days for me in my life was the day that I found my purpose which is really strange that copywriting does fulfill my purpose in a very weird way. And that is essentially, so I have it written down everywhere I go. It basically my purpose and mission in life is to inspire myself and others to feel embraced, happy, wanted, loved, and empowered the moment I meet them and the moment I leave them and they feel that way forever. That is basically where my mission is to like find people and do that. And the weirdest habit, and this is something I do want to ask you about is habits. One of the strangest habits that I developed as a, 10 or 11 year old, it was a promise I made to myself. It was, because uh, again, tough upbringing, was if I could make one person laugh every day, I have lived my life correctly. And essentially, oh, I'm 30 years old right now. I'm 30 years old and six months and nine days older than, you know, as I've been here. The insane thing is, I still to this day try and make it a goal to make one person laugh every day, even in quarantine, whether that's going on lives and doing shows like this and making someone laugh and giggle, or whether it's doing a Facebook post that just sends a message to a friend and saying, hey, numb nuts, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> well, you've made me laugh already, so you checked that box off. That's a win. That's a victory. So my question for you about habits actually really comes down to formations of what we do. Now, I didn't actually know that you had actually uh, 
made the big pivot in your tw in your late twenties, early thirties, essentially towards um, your path and journey where you're going. You set sail and direction differently. My question is, what habits do you see that people lack that stop them actually get like they're on that cusp of turning? They're not exactly fully turned. They're like on a halfway turn, but they don't have to do that last little bend around the corner. What habits do you see with most of your clients that you, or people that you've spoken to that they're lacking that is stopping them from finding happiness, joy, and full wealth in its entirety, which is money, health, happiness, relationships, all of it? What do you believe that is, like with those habits? Well, I think, you know, we grow up being told what to do. Uh, time to make your bed, brush your teeth. And we go to school and we're told what to do. And then eventually as an adult, we now have to decide what are going to be the, the boundaries of what we're going to do. And very few people create any sort of rituals or routines. So I think that a morning routine where you kind of center yourself, whether it's meditation, exercise, reading, journaling, uh, visualizing, is lacking in most people. So they wake up, what do they do? Most people grab their phone, mm -hmm. they look at their phone, and they let the outside world dictate what they're going to focus on and feel. So the number one thing that you can do if you want to really take control of the course and direction of your life is to have a routine in the morning that puts you in a place where you feel empowered and strong and focused and that you're going to win the day. The second thing is an evening routine that I think is undervalued is where you can kind of audit your day. So I have a book that I go through and I ask myself these questions. What did I learn? What did I contribute? What am I grateful for? What am I excited about? And when you do that, you can improve a little bit every day. So, you know, you don't gain 30 pounds in one day you eat a muffin or a croissant every day because you're too lazy to chop up an apple. And eventually, six months later, you've gained 30 pounds and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. But if you audited yourself every day, if you paid attention to where you were going, you would never drift that far off course. So I think successful rituals, I wrote it in my book, I call it, tell me what you do before eight o'clock in the morning and after eight o'clock at night, and I can predict your financial future or your physical future, or your emotional future for the rest of your life. So I think those are, like I say, it's really easy for people to get through nine to five. You go to the office, you put in your work, you sit at your desk, you say hi to Bob, you get a coffee, you kind of fumble your way through the day. But what you do before work and after work is what sets the average person and the successful person vastly apart. Yep, agreed. I'd actually say that the problem that a lot of people have, especially is from what I've seen, it's the idea of overworking or like not working, um, how do I put this, as efficiently. Like I'm terrible for this in the sense that basically the way that I used to do it, well, I still do this, is I would work until about 11 o'clock at night mm -hmm. and I'd work from morning to evening. It wasn't because I'm a workaholic, I enjoy my work, but the difference is I goof off so much more then people realize, but when it's time for me to do my work, I get my work done. But I've got to have that goof off time. But you're completely right in the sense that people spend way too much time before and after 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Um, respectively, being, in my opinion, being masters at things that could, be, like they basically get really good at wasting their time. And you hear the terms, I'm bored. I've never, I don't think I've actually ever used the words, I'm bored in like over a decade. 
And if I am bored, it's usually because I've literally done everything on my task or I've put everything off I don't want to do for the day. And then gone, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. I should really start doing this. So my question to you realistically here is what, like, so those habits are there, but having, uh, so I have a self care routine, which is roughly around 10 things. If I'm not doing at least one of these 10 things, I'm not showing myself love. Could you give me an example based on what we just discussed with the before 8 a.m. and after 8 p.m. routines? What are some healthy habits that someone that is really not used to like turning that ship around, like they are so entrenched in the unhealthy habits that they have, they, want, they know they want to make a change, but they don't know how to like climb around or get around it. What habits should they start with? Like the simplest habits, because life auditing sounds excellent, but as a lazy person myself and many other people I know, We'll get to like four days worth and then we'll stop and then we'll put it off and then we'll come back three months later and then we'll start again. What habit can we start today that is so simple just to put in place to get us going? Well, my buddy Hal Elrod wrote a book called The Miracle Morning and he Great gives book. you yeah, six different things you can do in the morning. So I'd recommend people get that book and they, they choose from those six things, whichever resonates with them. It could just be reading for 10 or 15 minutes, something inspirational. You've got you know, 200 books behind you. I'm sure some of those books have evoked something in you. Massive. Why do we like, right? Why do we like quotes? Because we read a quote and we like, oh, oh yeah, that reminds me that I can find a higher part of myself. Oh yeah, right? If I, the chains of habit are too weak to feel until they're too strong to break. If I just do a little bit for a while, then I'm going to have this new good habit. So it's the little things. I say to people, you know, there's a book called Atomic Habits. It's about doing tiny little things repetitively. So let's say that you don't exercise and you want to exercise. Walk to the end of your driveway tomorrow. It'll take you one minute. The next day, walk to the end of the driveway and back, but do it twice. In 30 days, you will have probably walked 30 minutes now. And that's how you build these new habits because the brain is lazy. It doesn't want to do much. It wants to keep you safe and in your comfort zone. But if you don't have a North star and you don't have some reason, some purpose to be the best version of yourself or to contribute to other people or to help or to build, you know, a well in Africa or to whatever you want to do, then a bag of Doritos and Netflix is always going to be tempting. Yeah, that's always true. And one of the ways that I've actually seen that works for me at least, or has started to work for me, um, really comes down to, and you're completely right, building small habits are brilliant, but I've actually looked at it in nutrition is where I find most of my habits are formed. So okay. if I'm not drinking at least two liters of water every day, I feel so sleepy. <laughs> like genuinely, I feel sleepy all the time. And especially right now, I'm in my office right now, as you so close. That is incredible. You got 200 from that. You're not far off, by the way. That is actually, that shelf behind me is 200 books. The one next to it is another two. There's like a total of like 700 books, like just in this visual corner here. But what I was getting at was, um, for the people at home that can't see that, but essentially what I was getting at was um, changing your dietary habits have like helped so much. Like for me, uh, I'm going through like a bit of a restart. So I'm like restarting my system. So I always like kind of go back, like I restart my system if it kind of goes off in one way so I can get back to a balanced diet. And that is going carnivore. 
being carnivore is helping me like stop eating sugar as much because I have a sweet tooth. Being carnivore, what do you mean? Just eating meat? Mostly meat for about 30 days. And then after that, it's going back to a balanced diet because, um, hmm? you're eating, are you eating bats? No, unfortunately, thankfully not. <laughs> unfortunately, no, they didn't let me have that. But for uh, like, hey, one person could change the world and he ate a bat. That was basically him. But no, for me, it's a case of just like, um, find what works for you. Because like, my, for me, I went through like a whole different bunch of options. I became a vegan for a while. I did the whole vegetarian thing. I went back to a balanced diet. It didn't work for you? It didn't sit right with my, uh, with my, with my body's ancestry. Like the epigenetics were flaring up in different areas. I was like, your body's not used to processing this food. I'm like, oh, this is weird. So I kind of went back to it. And after a lot of testing, I found that like uh, my friend John Benson basically was like, look, dude, with everything that's going on in your life, just go carnival 30 days, see how your body feels, let it reset. What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is you don't eat as much sugar anymore because you don't feel like eating sugar anymore. You cut down your complex carbohydrates. And when you come back, you crave more vegetables. How is that a bad thing? I was like, yeah, you're completely right. I should totally do this. So that's basically where my journey is on that. But that being said, however, um, I do want to actually ask you, kind of like jumping off completely to a different point entirely, about your podcast, the I Am Movement, or the hashtag I Am Movement. How did you actually come up with that? You know, I, I grew up uh, the youngest of six, uh, seven kids. And my, my brother called me Pizza Face because I had a lot of acne. And I so wanted to belong and fit in that I would wake up every morning, run to the mirror and look and see if I was going to be the ugly kid or even more ugly. Another pimple popped out. And every day I didn't know I was doing it, but I was telling myself, you're ugly. I was focusing on my face and looking for the pimples and going, there's another one. You're ugly. Everybody sees it. I'd walk down the corridor at school feeling like, if I saw somebody hit another kid and laugh, they were laughing at me about my pimples. I was yeah. making shit up. Yep. That wasn't even true. Mm -hmm. Being and this, this went on from early, like 12, 13, all the way to my late 20s until I met, you know, a new coach that talked to me about identity. And we all have this desire to remain consistent with how we see ourselves. So if you're, like you said, you know, one of the things that makes you feel joy is making people laugh. A part of you feels like, you know, you're a funny guy or you can be funny. And if yeah. you're not funny, then you're probably going to feel out of sorts. If somebody said to you, hey, man, you're really boring, you might feel offended or, or not like you, they're seeing that part of yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. The identity doesn't match up to the situation for me. Exactly. So... When I learned that I could change from, from pizza face and I could just give myself a new label and then program myself repeatedly by saying it, I went and, I, and he, he says, choose somebody that you can relate to that you think, you know, not, not Tom Cruise, pretty boy, but I chose um, Clint Eastwood, ruggedly handsome. Mm -hmm. I changed the label from pizza face to ruggedly handsome and my whole identity shifted. I felt like that I could relate to. My confidence went up. And I felt much more capable of socializing with people. And I stopped looking for the pimples, but I looked for the ruggedness. And it shifted the whole way I saw the world. And I used the same thing to go from working hard to working smart. 
I remember being in the shower saying that I'm the best real estate agent in Montreal. And then I became the number one and I bought the company. I went on to sell a billion dollars a year for 10 years wow. from farm boy to financially free. And then I wrote a book about it. And I just said, basically, I wanted to scream from the rooftops. If you have been stuck on a label of I'm shy, I'm stupid, I can't amount to much, I'm too short, I'm too tall, whatever, you can change it by just installing and repeating the new one. Yep. You know, and then I lost all my hair to alopecia. I went from blonde and blue-eyed to bald and beautiful. I just kept on looking for what's the most resourceful label I could give myself and then program myself to believe it. Through well, you, well, you are a bold, beautiful bastard. I will say that much. So I'll give you that for sure. But I, I, I could not agree with you more. And one of the things I've actually found specifically that helped me so, because very similar to you, I hope you don't mind me uh, sharing this story. Please do. But I had the same situation um, where I don't know exactly where I thought I was ugly. But I remember that thought process kind of hitting me that you're shy and you're ugly and no one will ever love you. And that started from a really young age and really festered in my teens because yeah. um, I was lucky. I didn't actually get uh, acne. I was one of the few kids in my school that actually managed to avoid it. And uh, I have no idea how or why. My sister got it. I didn't. So that was funny. And hilariously enough, my nickname was also Pizza Face. But not because I had acne. It was also because I loved pizza. Like, I literally, <laughs> like, I used to eat, I love pizza. Like, to this day, um, so much so that I've actually got to the point that I, I think December 2019, I decided to learn how to make pizzas at home uh, just because I think my 21st pizza I made uh, for a friend, um, her exact words were, she had, she, she had never had, a, she, she said that she went to Italy, she had a pizza in Italy, and that was the last good pizza she had. She couldn't find one in everywhere she went. No one matched it. She had my pizza and she was like, how did you replicate the same flavors? I'm like, I have no idea what these flavors were. It was all happenstance and just got there. So that's always a good thing. But what I was getting at more importantly was um, up until I was 26, I thought I was hideously ugly. Like no one could ever even want to date me. If they did date me, it was because of my personality and because I was funny and yada, yada, yada. And the other weird one that I had as an identity was uh, handsome men cannot be weird and funny like me. They cannot be as nerdy or weirdly as funny. That's just not me. A handsome man is very stoic in the way that he is. The more I've grown and the older I've gotten, the more handsome, lovely people I've met in my life, the more I realize they're all a bunch of weirdos and we love them very, very much. They have the exact same thought process that we do in some cases and others they don't, but the fun ones, at least the one fun ones for me, we have kind very- Kind of like the fat and funny, right? Exactly. They, they really have that, they have that whole thing. But the thing that really shifted it for me was a shift of identity, but in a different way. Mine came from a photography teacher. His exact words were, find 10 of your closest friends, most of my friends are female, and ask them if it's okay if you send them like a complete naked photo of you front and back, and they have to tell you what they love and hate about it. Wow. And I was like, okay, ballsy, fine, I'll do that. And then he was like, oh, and you have to do a live art class as well. You have to be the subject. So you need to be naked in front of a room full of people. I know you're shy, but I want you to do that. And at the time, I was, and, uh, I was about 182 pounds. So I was a little bit heavier than I would be because I used to, I was so used to in my mind being 155 pounds and that was good for me. That being 185 just feels so wrong and felt out of place, 182 rather. Ended up going to the side art class. Afterwards, had a conversation with a bunch of women and men that were there that was drawing. That was like, we really love this about you. We really like this drawing about you. And I was like, that's really cool. Uh, it was lovely. 
after that day, have not had that thought that handsome men can't be weird and funny and strange and fat and funny. Uh, at the same time, you're not ugly, so stop thinking that you are. Change that pattern. The moment I did that, I started to install that affirmational place in my brain. Things yeah. change, doors open, and happiness ensues. Now, and again, this is something I want to kind of draw back to because there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but specifically the one I want to ask you right now that's coming to me is specifically about the podcast and when you watch that. Because there is a level of writing a book, being the best at what you do, but there also has to be a level of marketing yourself and putting yourself out there. So how did you, as, and I'm assuming, so I could be wrong, but how did you go from being one of the best salespeople that Montreal's ever seen, one of the best real estate agents that, uh, real estate that have ever been, how did you go, that, go from that to being able to actually tell other people about what you're doing and marketing yourself in the way that you do? Because the big issue for a lot of the readers and listeners of the show uh, and everything in business is they have this weird core belief that they can't put themselves out there. They're the best at what they do, but they're the worst marketed of what they do. Yeah, well, you know, it's like the 10-year overnight success, right? So yeah. um, in my early 30s, I started out as a real estate agent. I was terrible at sales. One sale the first year. And I got some mentorship and I sold 32, 45, 65, 100, bought the company. In 2000, well, in 2003, <clears throat> after owning the company for a while, I, I came across Tony Robbins in 2000. And I started to understand that, you know, you can consciously operate your software, which is your brain is a computer, or you can just haphazardly do it. Tony is very good at operating the software. So... I embodied a lot of the principles there. And when I went back to the office, I was able to help people increase their sales dramatically. And then some people started struggling with, <clears throat> they were smoking, they were overweight. I said, hey, come in my office, Let's, let, let me try a couple of things. And I started to help them make those shifts by giving them a different identity. And this one guy who was 65 years old, his entire life he was overweight. His identity was fat and dieting. So I shifted the identity to athlete and we started to create an identity. What does an athlete eat? How does an athlete behave? What do they do? But that's not enough. You have to have leverage on somebody. So his leverage was his grandson who wanted to skate with him. And he was so overweight that he couldn't go more than twice around the rink without losing weight, without losing breath. Wow. So one day his little grandson said to him, you know, grandpa, I wish that you could skate longer. And this was the leverage he needed. So in nine months, he lost 65 pounds, Incredible. Got 200 for the first time in 42 years and changed the way he was operating, how he saw himself. So as I started to see the results I was getting with these people, I got really excited. They got really excited. People started lining up at the door and eventually I just started charging $75 an hour for coaching and got results, got testimonials, and then it led to, you know, now I charge a lot more than that and built a business around it. And then I was at a Tony Robbins event and I bumped into the founders of Goalcast and we were talking about, you know, storytelling and, and all that sort of thing. And I told them my mission is to help people get out of the rat race because most people hate their job. Yes. And I have this mastermind group called M1 where I march people to their, to their millions. And they go, well, why don't we know about this? The world needs to know about this. And I said, well, then let's let the world know. So they came to my house and we videotaped uh, my story because stories 
You know, so, that's how people connect, right? Story cell. It's one of the reasons why my one of my uh, sorry, just one of my uh, products is called the Story Selling Blueprint. Right, because it's exactly. the idea around stories. One hundred percent. So that and it was supposed to be, you know, they said well, probably two million with our platform is what we'll, you know, it'll be exposed to. But the story about you know the relationship between me and my father and the things I went through resonated so much that it just went viral, and now over a hundred million people have seen it. In fact, I had a few people from London reach out to me. I remember one boy specifically. He said, every day he gets up and he sits um, against his um, radiator, and he burns another spot into his back because he wants to commit suicide. And this at least gives him some pain to distract the desire to kill himself. And when he saw my video, he realized that he could change the label that his father had given him that he was worthless to somebody that could go out and make a difference. And so I got probably about 200, 250 now people have sent me, um, you know, a, a, an email or something saying that um, they're not going to commit suicide and that they're going to go out and, and change the way they see the world. So that's it just went, just went viral. That's incredible. And that's something that like, that is the power of story. That is just such a true power story. And someone that has actually come from that world myself, by the way, I can tell you. Um, first of all, I'm going to commend anyone that has the balls to actually go ahead and even admit that they're doing that. Because trust me, when you're going through that, you really don't admit it. But the fact that, you, that, that to that person, you admitted it, so that shows that you really want to still be here. And I'm so glad that you actually uh, changed things around. And I hope that you did. Um, one of the questions I really have for you that you really kind of, I want to ask you, I feel, a little bit, I feel a little bit cheeky asking, but I will ask anyway. And it is the idea of what is the process of which people have to go through in order to change their identity? Because it's, it's like to essentially like align with, say, an athlete's identity, and that's basically what they do and find their leverage. So what are the steps that someone would have to go through? Yeah, so if they go to rockthomas.com, there'll be a little pop-up and they can get my book, The Power of Your Identity. And there's a five-step process in that book, but I'll talk you guys through it. But at least you can have the guide and it's totally free, the book. So, um, you know, they can do that. But essentially what you do is you, you write out your, how you see yourself. So you write out the positive and negatives on a piece of paper. So you might see yourself as um, skinny, uh, tall, uh, goofy, smart, funny, uh, boring, whatever. You write them all out as many different adjectives as possible. Right. And then what you do is you circle the ones that you like. So funny might be one you want to keep, but, um, you know, uh, dyslexic or stupid or boring might be one you want to upgrade. So let's say somebody has a label as of, of boring. Well, you cross it out and then you give yourself one that's an upgrade. What would be an upgrade from boring? I'd say an upgrade from boring would be entertaining, fun. Yeah, exactly. So you can put in any word that resonates with you. So my, my parents are Dutch-German, and my father was very serious. And people used to always say to me, why are you so serious? Why are you so serious? And I didn't like that label. So I decided to consciously change it to playful. I said, you know what? I'm not serious. I'm playful. So people would say, why are you so serious? I would break out and dance or I would, you know, put my hand under here and make the farting noise. I would just do something goofy to break the pattern 
and to work myself toward this new side of myself that I could develop. So you just language yourself into it. And then in my book, I give you the nine different ways that you can expand that. So you could record your identity and listen to it every day. You could tell people around you, you know what? I'm really funny. They're going to go, no, you're not. You're boring. You go, no, no, I'm funny. And they go, why are you funny? Well, listen to this joke I'm going to tell you. Or, you know, you jump around and you do something goofy, roll on the couch. So you, you tell people around you about your new identity. And ideally, you have enough people that, are, that love you enough that will support and encourage you to play into that. Yeah. It's gonna, and it does sound a little strange. So I'm going to point this out to everyone else. I've done this. And when you have a couple of good friends being around you, you will change how you are just by simply having that encouragement and feedback. It's how I went from being very unconfident talking to anyone to being able to have conversations with very interesting people. Yeah. And you know, you, some people walk or have social anxiety. Yeah. And so you can say, you know what, I just don't know what to say. I don't know. I'm shy. I'm not a good conversationalist. So then you get a book called how to win friends and influence people. And you realize that you don't need to actually be an interesting person. You need to be an interested person. Yes. And you just need to have two or three questions and you can walk up to anybody and you can go, hi, my name is Rock Thomas. We don't know each other, but I'm really curious about what, you know, people are excited and passionate about. I know it sounds kind of weird, but would you mind telling me what you are really passionate about? I don't think anybody would reject you on that question. What do you think? No, I don't think they will either. People are like, this is something that I love about humanity is that we are inherently a good people. Like as overall, we, we actually will be there to help people and support them. As long as you actually tell them what's going on, they're actually more likely to be aligned with you. Exactly. So that's what I do is I help people expand their identity. I help people decide, well, you know, ideally, what would you like? You want to become entrepreneurial? Great. What are the character traits of an entrepreneurial person? Who can you model? And we've all done it when we were a kid. We all said, and it's so-and-so athlete running down with the ball, passing, whatever. And we embody that person in our mind as a child. And we become adults and we become, you know, we lose the magic of doing that. Yeah. But the greatest people are like, you know what? I want to be like Edison or Einstein or, or Elon Musk. And, and I need to think more creatively like Jobs. And they go out and they do it. So it's that youthful, passionate curiosity it will help people find a part of themselves that is there that has been maybe buried by your broke uncle that said, hey, idiot, you know, get off the ground and careful, you're, you know, you're a klutz. And then you took that on and you lived that through that filter the rest of your life. Yeah. Which has happened with so many people who think that lazy they're horrible they're not good people in reality it's the whole program that someone said to you and the joys is what we've already discussed if it hasn't already become blatantly obvious you can change that if you want to and truly yeah, I work, i've worked with a lot of people because we help people with their finances and, and become entrepreneurial there's a bunch of people that were told by their math teacher you know you're can't you do your times table you just are you stupid yeah and they freeze and therefore they they never actually practice math they somehow got through school and they adopted a belief i'm terrible with numbers 
which isn't true. They just never practiced, so they never got good. Right? Well, they wanted to get good, but they got told they weren't good, so they decided to accept bad instead. Exactly. Yeah. So it's I, so I, so important the people you surround yourself with that are going to be supportive, encouraging, and challenging so that when you get complacent and you're at that plateau in your life, you can look around for a while, but then you want to be around people that say, okay, let's climb the next peak. You ready to go? That's always the best thing. I actually love that. Now, I was going through your website and there was a lot of books that you actually recommend to people, like a lot, lot, which is lovely for me because again, as you can see, I love books. Uh, and it's funny because again, one of the labels that I'm proud of having, I'm happy of having because it's not a negative for me is my dyslexia. It's more of a thought process situation for me. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't stop me reading those books because I love reading those books. My question to you is one of my favorite questions on the show is what are, wait, are you a movie guy as well? Or are you just like, you read books? Did you say movie guy? Yeah. Do you like movies or? Yeah, love, love movies, love books. Sure. Excellent. All right, cool. So we're going to do this instead. I'm going to ask you for your five favorite nonfiction books that you would recommend to people. Uh, and these are the five that are basically, I want the five that you would give to, let's see, let's, let's find some leverage here. Actually, I've got one. These are the five books that you're going to give your, uh, that you're going to give to April to help her get to where she needs to go. And I know that's universally different for everyone, but these are things that are going to help on self-confidence, business, whatever, wherever you want to go. These are the five books that you recommend to April, uh, that she basically goes ahead and gets and reads right away and embodies. What would they be? April being a fictitious person. I was actually going to say more your assistant. Okay. Yeah. I was actually using someone, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just double checking. But for people that don't know who she is, a, a, yeah. an individual. Yes. Well, you know, <clears throat> there are many good books, as you know, and it really depends on where the person is at. But I'll go a little bit globally. The classics, of course, are Thinking Grow Rich and How to Win Friends and Influence People to build your confidence and your basic programming. But I think that in today's world, the ones that, are, that have become very useful for me have to do with most misery comes from people where the picture they have of the way they want their life to be doesn't match the way it is. Yeah. And they're always in frustration. I wish I made more money. I wish I had that job. I wish I wasn't so fat. I wish I had a, a spouse that loved me more. Uh, I wish my, I didn't have to dri drive to, to work for 45 minutes. So they live in negative emotions of frustration, doubt, etc. So the books that have really helped me with that and given me a sense of, of appreciation for every day are things like letting go by Dr. Hawkins. Hmm. Um, okay. Young, have you read that one? No, I haven't yet. So my, it's, I'm just looking through my reading list. It's actually on there. Okay. Um, the untethered soul by Michael J. Singer. Great book. I had to listen his, to it as an audio book though. Yeah. And his follow up to that, the surrender experiment, which is really, really great. And then if you want to go into, you know, a different area, you can go into negotiation books like Never Split the Difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gives you some really great skills on how to influence people. So there's so many different ways you can go and it just depends on where you're at and how you cycle through. I got a lot of relationship books that I work on too because relationships are so important. Yes. So it just depends, you know, like, the Way of the Superior Man by David Data helps you really understand the difference between men and women and that we, you know, men are just hair. Women think 
men are hairy women and they, they don't really get us and we don't get them and we keep on trying to convert each other. So yeah. when you can learn to, you know, navigate through that, you can really make your life a little bit more, um, more pleasant. I would agree. And that brings me to my second part of this question, which are what are five movies that you would recommend anyone to go watch? Because these are your five movies. You're like, you know what? I just got to tell you about these five. All right. Well, the, the, the first one is Mrs. Doubtfire. Classic. It's just so funny and mm -hmm. so great. Um, but from an inspirational point of view, Rudy, I don't know if you remember that movie, yep. but Rudy's a great, great, you know, triumph over adversity, um, staying with your vision. I really, really love that movie. Um, Goodwill Hunting. Um, great movie. Jeez, you got me on the movie ones. I don't really think of the titles. Um, Maybe I might know if you tell me the story. I might know the actual story. I might know the title of it. Are you looking for inspirational or for... Oh, dude, these are just ones that you'd recommend. Like, these, anything. This goes with anything. It could be the Marvel Cinematic Universe if you want it to be. Um, Braveheart. I mean, how can Classic. you not be Braveheart, right? Right. Uh, I like movies that are, like, even... Um, what was it? The, the Gladiator? There's a yeah. Gladiator one. Um, uh, the, the one with Russell Crowe in it. Russell Crowe in it, yeah. Yeah, The Gladiator. Yeah, so I like movies like that. I also like romantic comedies, you know. Yeah. A lot so, of people don't, but I do love them. Like, if it's I the right do. ones, huge fan. Yeah. The, only ones, the only one I've not seen is um, Dirty Dancing, and I have a very weird rule about not watching Dirty Dancing. <laughs> okay. And the weird rule is I survived high school not watching that movie while dating people. I was like... If I manage to survive that long, how long can I keep my survival before I need to watch this movie? So far, I'm on a 30-year track record, so I'm pretty good for it so far. But I know there's someone out there, one of my friends, and they're like, right, what we're going to do is we're going to get, we're going to drug him, we're going to tie him up and make him watch this movie, which one of my friends has told me they would, want me they would want to do to get me to watch that movie. Well, I can tell you what I don't like is I'm not a big fan of musicals. Really? Yeah, so people love those things, but I just saw The Showman the other day. Mm -hmm. The Great Showman, the one with Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like when they break out in the dance and stuff, I'm like, uh, it doesn't really, for me, a lot of people like that, and I, and I get the art, artist part, but for me, I'm like, I, I'm in the story, so. Yeah, I mean, that just is a thing. One of my favorite movies that isn't an uh, inspirational movie, but it's just a really good study of film, John Wick. Oh, with John um, Reeves, yeah. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen that one. Okay, full disclosure. The, actually, I'll tell you the full disclosure after the show because I don't want to tell anyone else this right now because I might get an angry person yell at me. But go watch it. It's a great movie, guys. One of my favorites. And, um, dude, one of the last questions I'm really going to ask you before we wrap today, I uh, do want to talk to you a little bit afterwards, is quite simply, if you could actually impart one piece of advice to people who are going through, say, a tough time in their life. I know when we're recording this, the world is in a really weird place. But let's just say it's outside of this context, and that is in the sense of life has just hit them a bit too hard. They're basically down on their luck. What is it that Rob Thomas would tell them in order to start kind of going, right, step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, and that will start helping you get back on TP. What are those three things? Well, the simplest one is move your body. And I think a lot of people get stuck in their mind. 
So it's really hard to stay stuck in your mind if you move your body. So do 10 push-ups, uh, do some jumping jacks, move your body is the simplest thing. Children do it all the time and it changes your focus. The second thing is that most of the time when people are stuck, it's because they're focusing on themselves. So if you really focus on helping other people, rarely will you be sad or depressed. So go out and help somebody, serve somebody, uh, donate to somebody, um, help the old lady, you know, pick up her groceries, uh, whatever. That's the simplistic kind of way. But the, the habitual way that you can work on, it all comes down to your inner narrative, what you say to yourself. So if you don't have, like I say, as part of my identity, every day I wake up, I go, I'm gifted, guided, and grateful. Powerful, passionate, and playful. Sexy, sensual, sensitive, and blessed. And I, and I build that into who I am. And then I marinate on it sometimes. You know, like I, I have 10 of them because when I work out, I want to go, I'm gifted, guided, grateful, powerful, passionate, playful, sexy, sensual, sensitive, blessed. Yes. And then I just build from it. I'm gifted with an elite athletic body. The ability to communicate with people in a fun, loving, empowering way. I'm grateful for my crazy mom who's zany and wild and has taught me to be outlandish. For my dad who taught me the work ethic that is rare in this world today and gives me an edge over other people. Man, I'm so grateful for my dad. He was a bit of a dick, but man, he gave me tools that were so great. I'm grateful for my desire and passion to help other people. In fact, I grew up on a farm and I get up early and I get the edge on life. And I just go on a rant. That's incredible. So, that is actually very, very powerful because that you're self-programming yourself perfectly for your morning and for your day. And I'll do it throughout the day if I'm stuck in traffic and I find myself going, oh my God, I'm stuck in traffic. Then I'll go, I'm gifted, guided, grateful, powerful, passionate, playful, sexy, sensual, sensitive. I'm, sens I'm a sensitive guy. I'll wave to the person beside me. Hey, how are you doing? So I'll whip myself into a directional focus with that mantra they can always go to. That's incredible. Guys, I cannot tell you how much of a pleasure it's been for me to have you on here, dude. Like, just everyone listening, I'm sure they're going to get a ton out of this. But for me, it's one of my more favorite shows that we've done so far. Um, and that's saying something. But, dude, I'd love to have you back on again uh, another time if you're open to it. I'd love to have you as a guest on the show. Um, guys, please go check out rockthomas.com. Please pick up his books. Check out his stuff. His free book is absolutely brilliant as well in its own right. Order the physical version for all because I'm guessing you're going to be like me and uh, like dog ear the crap out of those pages and then basically go ahead and take notes copiously like I do, it's a thing we do. Um, but Rock, I cannot say thank you enough to having you on the show and being so open with us and all. So guys, please, uh, at home, if you can, give them a round of applause, send them some support and let them know you, you came from the show. Um, and any final words before we head off? Well, I'll end it like this, saying is, you know, the words that follow I am follow you. So you have a choice to be your own director, producer, and writer of the life called your movie. So choose the words, you know, I'm dyslexic. I think you said you're dyslexic. I'm dyslexic too. So is Tom Cruise. A lot of great people are dyslexic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to get negative. Nope. But choose the words that describe you in a way that is loving and is empowering and change, literally change those labels of I'm stupid or I'm short or I'm fat or I'm skinny or what have you to, you know, I'm the skinniest, tallest guy around here. I can reach shit that other people can't get. And that's pretty cool. Like 
choose to empower yourself is what I would say to people. That's awesome. And I, I would definitely agree with you. Guys, go do that. Please rate. And the first empowering act that we can definitely do is rating this show, giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. Yes, I'm being cheesy. That's always fun. But please, as always, your support is welcomed. Please share this if you love this interview. And as always, I will see you next week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and apply Rock's advice. Take care, guys, and speak soon.